Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, how Minnesota stacks up in the fight against cancer. A unique Sea Grant program provides educational opportunities for Minnesota teachers, and a new Gopher Scholarship program aims to help walk-on players. But first... This was an exciting and record-breaking week in Minnesota politics as over 900,000 people went to the polls to vote in the primary election. MNN's Bill Werner is here to recap what happened in the race for governor. Scott, our intrepid political analyst David Schultz from Hamlin University is on deck. But first, a big voice in Minnesota politics during the first decade of the new millennium, a person whom voters turned away on primary election night. 2018. Obviously, this is not the result that we had hoped for and worked for, but I want to first of all express uh, gratitude. Uh, gratitude to a, a loving God. Gratitude for living in the greatest nation the world has ever known. Uh, gratitude for living in the greatest state in the nation. Why did Tim Pawlenty, former governor, a uh, lot of money, uh, why, why didn't he prevail in the primary? For a couple of reasons. I think first with Tim Pawlenty, he might have been a candidate out of place and out of context. The last time he won was 12 years ago. The Republican Party statewide and nationally has changed dramatically since the last time he was elected and even since he left office eight years ago. But I think we can add to that a couple of other things. He ran, I think, what I would call sort of a money-driven astroturf campaign. And I think to a large extent, he thought that his name recognition and that money and ads would be enough for him to be able to win. And it clearly wasn't. But I think the other critical thing is the fact that when Tim Pawlenty decided to come back to Minnesota to run, it's, he appears out of nowhere and says, I want to be governor again. I'm going to bypass the convention process, go straight to the primary. And I think for many Republicans, they felt like he was basically trying to buy his way into the nomination again. I think we sent a message. People want something different these days, right? I think Jeff Johnson did well for a couple of reasons. One, because Tim Pawlenty did so badly, obviously, of <laughs> course. But, but I think part of it was the fact that um, he was able to um, draw upon the party regulars. And the party regulars, I think, were far more disciplined in terms of supporting him um, than, than Tim Pawlenty. I think the resentment factor against, against him um, Tim Pawlenty, um, I think, was, a, was an issue. But also, I think at the end of the day, Jeff Johnson was closer to where the Republican Party is uh, now than Tim Pawlenty. I want to um, give you a, a quote from Jeff Johnson. i got to make sure that we're not only winning independence, but that Republicans across the state are excited enough to get off the couch and vote, because I think the base will be important in this election. That's kind of a telling comment, isn't it? It is a telling comment, and I think what Jeff is was trying to sort of say here a couple of different things. One is that he can't win. A Republican really can't win in Minnesota unless they can have a broader appeal because at this point, Tim Pawlenty was about the last Republican to win statewide election in Minnesota. And the only way you're going to win is by holding your base plus reaching out to some of the swing voters. And so I think Jeff Johnson is speaking to the fact that he thinks he can do that and he's going to try to run a broader campaign. Let's move over now to the DFL side. Why is it, first of all, that the endorsed candidate, Erin Murphy, did, did uh, I mean, she was in second place, but why wasn't, didn't she come in first place, and why was she a long way away from the leader? 
Well, I think there's a couple of reasons here. First, she ran as an ideological candidate and, and, and ran on a platform which was to the left of where most of the Democratic Party was. She wins only two counties in the state of Minnesota, Ramsey County and Cook County, up, up where Grand Marais is. For her to win, she had to do exceedingly well in Ramsey County and do very well in Hennepin County. She got a plurality of the vote in Ramsey County, did not win Hennepin County, and without those large margins of victory in the urban cores where there are clearly more voters, her chances of being able to overcome um, the votes that Swanson or Waltz would receive in greater Minnesota in the Iron Range, um, her chances were, were, were pretty small. Now let's talk about Lori Swanson, because she did even more poorly. I think Swanson was banking on a couple of different things. One, huge turnout with high, high voting for her up in the Iron Range area, where both Rick Nolan, her running mate, and she are from. Um, and then I think we're hoping for some of the support from women who would be looking to support a female governor. And I think she was trying to carve off, um, let us say, the more moderate part of the Democratic Party for all that to come together for her um, to be able to be the winning formula. And obviously, at the end of the day, it did not. I think another factor, though, was the way she acted or the way she positioned herself at the DFL convention, I think, alienated some voters there. And perhaps also with um, the fact that she just entered the governor's race relatively late and didn't have quite the resources that I think we saw with Waltz, for example. And speaking of Tim Walls... Enough of the division. It's time for one Minnesota. Why did he do so well in this? Why he did so well was, I think, a few different things. One, I still come back and say that ideologically he may have been closer to where the state of Minnesota is in terms of Democratic um, Party voters. And his message that he was stressing, one Minnesota, which is going to be his, I think, his big theme going into the fall, was an effort to say that we're that we, as Tim Walt speaking, that we are not going to sort of pit the metro region against the Iron Ranger rural Minnesota and to try to um, run a campaign to appeal to all regions. And when you look at the uh, the results, uh, Tim Waltz did very well across the state. Um, there is no area that he really did poorly. Really comes down to ideology, message, um, and, um, and, and, and campaign tactics. That's Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz. The governor's office is not the only race that is hotly contested this time around. For a start, there are battles for two U.S. Senate seats. That has not happened in the same year for decades. Attorney General, believe it or not, is a hot contest, as are races for U.S. House in several congressional districts, to say nothing of the electoral fight for control of the Minnesota House. In the coming weeks, we will delve more deeply into all of those contests as Minnesota moves past the state fair and into the fall political campaign season in earnest. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? 
It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The most recent American Cancer Report shows where each state, including Minnesota, stands on critical issues in the fight against cancer. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. The report illustrates how Minnesota stands on issues that play a critical role in reducing cancer incidence and death. Joining me now is Ellie Beaver, Minnesota Government Relations Director for the American Cancer Society. Ellie, can you start with some background on the report? Sure. Um, So like you said, uh, the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network has done this report for 16 years looking at different measures um, across the country around cancer policy. Um, And under access to care, uh, you know, Minnesota is doing really well in some measures and not so good in others. Uh, We have expanded Medicaid uh, and we're one of the first states to do so to make sure that folks have access to health insurance, which we know improves outcomes when you're diagnosed with cancer. Um, but we uh, are falling uh, low uh, under appropriations for the breast and cervical cancer screening program, which is called SAGE here in Minnesota. Uh, the CDC gives the state about four million, just a little less than $4 million uh, to run that program. And uh, Minnesota, the state legislature, appropriates a little under a million dollars a year for that program. So um, our benchmark is uh, 33% or more, and we're at about 25%. That said, um, the SAGE program is actually very efficient at screening women across Minnesota for um, breast and cervical cancer. And while we would obviously um, appreciate more, more state funding for that, I do have to say that the SAGE folks at the Department of Health are doing a really good job um, screening women uh, through that program. And then when we look at uh, quality of life, uh, let's hit on there. It looks like that we did overall pretty good. Uh, we got no red marks uh, for, for that matter, I guess. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Minnesota uh, passed a palliative care advisory council legislation um, last year, and so that council has been meeting, and they're looking overall at the palliative care system in Minnesota and I think are going to come forward with some strong recommendations on how to improve patients' access to palliative care in Minnesota. Palliative care is care, uh, that supportive care around serious illness, um, so helping patients address the symptoms of both the treatment um, and of illness. And uh, some, some areas have um, you know, gaps in the ability of patients to access that kind of care. And so we want to make sure that every patient has access to palliative care um, from their time of diagnosis. Uh, and then um, pain policy, uh, we, Minnesota does a, a good job of addressing um, uh, access 
to treatment to help with pain. As, as you know and many people know, um, cancer can be a very painful disease both from the actual uh, disease itself and from the symptoms. So we want to make sure that patients are able to control that pain and address their symptoms. And then when it comes to prevention, it seems like in my mind, Minnesota does a really good job uh, in prevention. Were you seeing those uh, same things hold true here in this report? Minnesota consistently ranks in the top five uh, for being one of the healthiest states in the nation. And I think part of that is our emphasis on uh, preventing the uh, causes of chronic disease. And you can see that Minnesota generally scores really well. Um, we've, we've worked to try and um, offset the detrimental effects of tobacco use. Um, we passed a law that banned uh, kids from using tanning beds. Um, the one area that we are very concerned about is our prevention and cessation funding for tobacco. The um, organization that's done the, the majority of the funding for that work, Clearway Minnesota, um, is scheduled to shut their doors in 2022, and that's, um, that's because they are uh, required to do that by the settlement um, from the master settlement with the tobacco companies that set them up in the first place. Um, so we need to find a way to replace that funding to replicate the work that, that um, Clearway has been doing over the past two decades. Um, Minnesota has been very successful at driving down our rate of tobacco use in the state, and a lot of that is because of the work uh, and the funding that's come through Clearway, Minnesota. Thanks again to my guest, Ellie Beaver, Minnesota Government Relations Director for the American Cancer Society. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Teachers from three states took to the water of Lake Michigan last week for a hands-on experience in a unique classroom. J.W. Cox talked to three members of the shipboard expedition before they set sail. Educators from Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Michigan boarded the S.V. Dennis Sullivan, a replica three-masted wooden Great Lakes schooner, to learn firsthand about the state of the lakes and the history of the waterways. Sailing on the Dennis Sullivan, there's just no other experience like it. Because of the blending of culture, history, and science that we can bring together. The Dennis Sullivan crew are often educators themselves. The Dennis Sullivan has an education mission, so it fits really well. They work hard, and they get a lot out of it. Marty Kitson is the Environmental Literacy Extension Educator for the Minnesota Sea Grant Program, She says they've arranged three of these trips in the past, including one that took them into the Twin Ports as part of the Tall Ships Festival. We go out and we sample zooplankton samples. Uh, We look at physical and chemical properties of the lakes, things like temperature and dissolved oxygen. This year we'll even be traveling up into some rivers um, on land-side tours that accompany the Dennis Sullivan uh, workshop. And we'll go up and look at uh, what's going on in some of our tributaries that drain into Lake Michigan. We also do a lot with the culture and the history of maritime shipping. One of the shipmates last week, John Weemholt, a teacher at Hazel Park Prep in St. Paul. Being out on the water on that ship is just an amazing perspective on the lake. When you're actually in the lake and you see the coast far away and you are pretty much focused on learning about the ship, learning about the samples that we're taking out. 
it's just an unforgettable experience that you just take this inspiration and you work with this back at your school. And you get other teachers excited about it. We start designing curricula that uh, addresses Great Lakes or just water quality in general in our own neighborhood. It just has a cascading effect. Weimholt says the makeup of his student body makes the experience even more useful for him. I think I'm very interested in this Lake Michigan. It's a little bit farther than Lake Superior, so and it's got a different kind of ecology. It's got different kind of food chains and stuff like that. I just think it's super interesting. And we have kids that uh, have moved over here to St. Paul from around Lake Michigan and the other Great Lakes, and uh, I just want to be more knowledgeable about that. Kitson says it's hard to nail down the best thing about this program. Every individual that you asked would actually answer that question differently because it's such a rich experience that everyone takes a unique piece away. I think that the most important part of the Dennis Sullivan workshop, in addition to just being on the tall ship and raising that cultural awareness, is also using that time to build a platform on which teachers can start to understand science and the scientific process. For example, um, we do some plankton toes out there, and that's the platform for learning about how to work with the data. We collect the data, and then we do data analysis and data visualization and data interpretation. So teachers that come to this workshop are able to get their hands literally wet, collect plankton, do the entire workup, and at the end, they have information that has been visualized in a graph or some other way that allows them to visualize what's going on underneath the surface of the water. And so they can use that information and bring it back to their classrooms to build a better picture of what the Great Lakes looks like below the surface. Perry Smith teaches in Wisconsin and says he can't wait to bring back the added science knowledge to his classroom, but for him, the connection to the water has a personal element. I'm just most excited about actually being out on a tall ship. I've been on tall ships before. I've toured them, but it's always been in port. I've never actually sailed on one. I've sailed a lot of other boats, but never on a tall ship and not a a historical replica of a Great Lakes schooner, which played such a huge role in the history of Lake Michigan. And growing up on the shorelines of Lake Michigan, my own personal history, my great-great-grandfather was a schooner captain on the lake. So I'm kind of getting back in touch with my roots also along with learning some great new science stuff. So I'm just so stoked about it. I just can't wait. While Kitson acknowledged that not everyone will share the same intense historical bond that Smith does, she says it's important for everyone to gain some knowledge of the important role the lakes play in the upper Midwest. The thing that surprises me probably the most still is when I speak with teachers about teaching in Milwaukee or teaching in Chicago or teaching um, in an area that is even directly connected to the Great Lakes, is they say, my students, my school is five blocks from Lake Michigan or Lake Superior, and they've never been there. They live there, and they've never been there. They've never touched it. They don't know anything really about it. And the teachers that come through this program are called, I think, professionally to bridge that gap. For Smith, it's not just the people that can see the lakes every day that need to take note and be educated. There's an old saying that we all live downstream, and those of us that live within the watershed of the various Great Lakes, whether it's Superior, Michigan, or Erie, Huron, whatever, the choices we make daily 
can have an impact both positively and negatively on these tremendous resources, these tremendous bodies of water. And I think it's our duty as, I mean, both citizens and as teachers to inform our students of the responsibility that goes along with that. Weemholt added, our understanding of the lakes needs to grow and progress on a consistent basis. We all need to be more aware of uh, possible policy changes that might come down the road and how are we going to react to that? How are we going to respond to uh, situations that arise in the future? And the more informed you are, I think the better decisions you're going to make. The learning shipmates on board last week included teachers from Duluth and the Fond du Lac Tribal and Community College. Ahoy, Scott, and back to you. Ahoy, right back at you, JW. Thank you for that report. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast, F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. F-A-S-T, face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, Mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Golden Gopher football program was back in the headlines last week when another walk-on player was awarded a full-ride scholarship in another unique way. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has the story. Scott, Golden Gopher sophomore linebacker Bailey Schoenfelter didn't really want to be a college football player. Instead, while he was in high school, he had other plans. I grew up on a ranch in South Dakota. Um, I did all the sports in high school. I wasn't too interested in them because about my sophomore year of high school, I decided that I was going to join the military. And I was committed to it. I was training for it since then. I had one of my best friends from high school. We were both going to join together. And my senior year in about January, so coming up on the end of my, se- or my senior year, I was getting processed to actually be enlisted in the military, and then I was going to be in a delayed entry program until I shipped out. And while I was getting processed, um, about halfway through the day, I, we were doing like all our medical stuff, and I did my hearing test, and I was doing something else. They pulled me out and said that I failed my hearing test, so I had to go see a doctor to check my ears to see if they were clean and stuff, took it again, failed it again, and then they sent me home. So then I had to kind of rework my plan, and I ended up talking with Coach Clays, who was the head coach here at the time. I called him on the phone, had a nice long conversation with him, and at the end of that conversation he offered me a preferred walk-on spot, and that's how I ended up here. So instead it was off to play college football as a walk-on at the University of Minnesota. He redshirted two years ago and then became a key contributor on special teams last year. So head coach P.J. Fleck decided Schoenfelter deserved a scholarship. And as Fleck usually does, he makes it a unique experience. Fleck knew of Schoenfelder's first love, the military. So Fleck last week held a team meeting. A bunch of you was in our leadership council when I sat there and said, hey, what do you need? Some of you talked about, we'd love a Navy SEAL committee. We talked about ultimate neck tons. 
So help me welcome our very, very special guest. Give a big go for welcome to Mr. Brent Lee. How are you guys doing today? Elite. All right. Navy SEALs are known to be the most elite and feared special operations fighting force in the entire world. And who wants to do that? Okay, good. If you watch that and still want to do it, I would like to talk to you after this, sir. Schoenfelder and the rest of the team loved hearing from Navy SEAL Brent Gleason. And then later that day at practice at TCF Bank Stadium, two Navy SEALs parachuted onto the turf right in the middle of practice. They carried a note to notify Schoenfelder that he'd be getting the scholarship. Promising Bailey's own scholarship to nobody more deserving than him. Yeah. Just so you know, guys, you don't know much about him. He's done everything he could to get in the Navy, the Army, the Marines, and there's nobody more willing and rather, I would have fighting for our country than this guy. He's our SEAL. He's our Army Ranger. He's our Green Beret. Right? He's our Delta Force. There's no, nobody deserves it more holistically. I speak for the entire team to say thank you for everything that you stand for and everything that you're going to continue to do. We're lucky to have you on this football team. And we'd be even luckier if we had you fighting for us. I'm proud of you, man. I love you. So the scholarship was awarded right there on the field. Schoenfelter, who's the cousin of former Vikings All-Pro linebacker Chad Greenway, says it was unbelievable. Uh, I was beyond surprised. It blew my mind, to be honest with you. They did such an elaborate job of covering it up and making sure I didn't find out. And when I did find out, it was beyond anything I've ever experienced. And he says it was a flood of emotions. At first, I felt relief. And then the next thing that came to my mind was my next step, you know, my where I'm going next with my definite dream of like the NFL. Schoenfelter says he hopes young people in his hometown of Huron, South Dakota will use him as inspiration. What I hope it means anyway is I hope it sets some sort of example for all the kids there because I know football is a tough sport to participate in. People don't really get behind it. People don't really believe in it because when I like my senior year we had like 20 kids on my football team. People just don't really care and I kind of want to at least change that by setting this example that people can get get out of that town and go somewhere else and do whatever they want. As for the head coach, P.J. Fleck, well, he always tries to make this a special occasion for all of the walk-on guys who work hard to eventually earn a scholarship. Again, something that's not new to us or our program or what we do with our culture, but here's what I'll say about that. We make that a really big deal. That's not showy. That's not for attention. I'll tell you what that is for. That's that kid's signing day. Bailey Schoenfelder never got a signing day. So we have all these kids signing scholarships on signing day. They have all these parties. They have all these you know, signing day parties. They have all, this camera, all these cameras in their face. Everybody loves them for that day. It's a build-up to that day. And walk-ons never get that. And they, they don't get any exposure, not even allowed to say their name on signing day unless they do X, Y, and Z. So that's important. That's their signing day. So, yeah, we're going to make it a big deal. Why? It's my job as a head coach to use our platform to give these young people a moment in memory that attaches all of them so they'll always remember that. As for on the field, the season starts later this month, and Schoenfelder says he'll just keep working hard. This fall, I'm definitely planning on being on all the special teams, doing everything I can there, trying to connect at offense and defense like we talk about all the time, and um, hopefully getting out there on defense. And if not this year on defense, that's my, that's my next step and my goal is playing defense. Schoenfelder wears number 43. Certainly there'll be a few folks keeping a special eye out on a potential new favorite gopher. Scott? Thank you, Mike. Schoenfelter and the Gophers open the regular season on Thursday night, August 30th, against New Mexico State at TCF Bank Stadium. There are tickets still available. 
That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.